Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. R&R in the morning on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star. Hey, it's R&R in the morning. Top of the morning to all. That's Rudy. I'm Rob. Aren't you glad you're with us? We told you his, he was coming. Let's talk uh, the NBA with Johnny Smith. He's the author of a brand new book, The Jumpman, uh, uh, the making of Michael Jordan and... Uh, the NBA as it was. Uh, first of all, Johnny, I'd like to welcome you on and congratulate you on what was an extraordinary read, an angle at which I had not looked at uh, with Michael Jordan. Let me present the book as it should be. You know, when you think of Michael Jordan, so many of us look at him as this canvas that we painted. Uh, he was he came up in a time where we didn't know a whole lot about him. All we got was what he offered us. So he didn't ever want to be the hero that he became. He was just a great ball player. And as a black athlete, he took the mantle as the most famous black athlete of his time and probably still is. With that on the backdrop, uh, tell us about what Madison Square Garden meant to Michael Jordan on his up-and-coming rise. Welcome aboard, first of all. Uh, thanks for having me. Madison Square Garden? Why Madison Square Garden? Because Wemby's there tonight. On the backdrop, <laughs> our young superstar is coming into the, the uh, rarefied air that Michael began. And we're looking at lists of what happened in the garden and how it was okay. a springboard for him and so many others. Michael used that to take his brand in a direction that, uh, in hindsight, was shouldn't have been unexpected. But at the time, thinking about where he was and where he was going, it took performances like that to get him to where he was going. Yeah, okay, I got you. Forgive me. I didn't Forgive me for not setting the table second. correctly because I've been excited about having you on all morning. I felt like I've already been talking to you. You know, when I think of Jordan the Garden, I think about um his comeback when he had left the NBA, left the Bulls, plays baseball, he comes back, you know, struggles against the Pacers, but not long after that, he drops a double nickel at the Garden, 55 points. And you know, it was this, you know, back in Chicago, which is where I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And it's like, okay, he is back, you know, because mm-hmm. winning at the Garden, beating Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Charles Oakley, all those villains that we <laughs> despised in Chicago, oh, that was sweet. And so, you know, you're right. You know, a victory at the Garden against the Knicks, it's meaningful. And, of course, for Jordan, he always loved playing there. It was one of his favorite places to play. I think because of the the lore around the Knicks and the history of the Garden, and of course his buddy Spike Lee sitting mm-hmm. courtside, razzing him, that was a big part of it. And he loved to uh, silence uh, Spike whenever he could. So I think the Garden definitely has a, a special place in the heart of Michael Jordan. Some great memories. You know, this is this is interesting, John. This whole the whole topic on Jordan and being the black athlete because. 
I feel like Mike, like direct, directly affected the way Tiger Woods handled things, and I think he mm-hmm. directly affected the way Kobe handled things. And I know for a fact, John, that a lot of people in the black community, the reason why they have LeBron, even though it has nothing to do with on the court, have LeBron above Michael is because LeBron's mm. willingness to address difficult issues in in so in, in our society that Mike Tiger and Kobe were like, I'm here to play ball. Like I'm Republicans here to play buy golf. shoes and clubs. Yeah, too. I'm here to stay away from those things. That's not my job. I, I'm I'm a getaway. And LeBron's willingness to say, Hey, this ain't right, and I'm going to say something about it. I'm not going to shut up and dribble. It's always been tough for Mike, but I think more now in retirement, he has come around to realizing that he does have more of a responsibility than just selling shoes and, and making baskets. I think that's right. I think one of the things I've thought about is, you know, my, my book deals with this crucial period in his career between 1990 and 1991, mm-hmm. the moment when Jordan and the Bulls win their first NBA championship when they beat the Lakers. But it's also this period where increasingly he's facing growing pressure to speak out about racism uh, to endorse Harvey Gant in his home state of North right. Carolina. And he really struggled under this weight of expectations. And I, one of the points I try to make is that, you know, Jordan really wanted to uh, be a self-defining man. You know, independence was important to him. We see that on the court and the way he kind of resists uh, Phil Jackson's triangle system. that He's going to give up the ball, give up control. But we see it off the court, too. He doesn't see himself as part of some movement. Now, I think it's easy to say that on the one hand, well, you know, Jordan was prioritizing um, his, his endorsement deals and making money. He didn't want to offend white America. Fair. That is true. That's a that fact. Is that is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. But what I want to also point out is that Jordan is unexceptional in that regard in his generation. Magic Johnson, the same way. Mm. He also focused on his endorsement, building his wealth. Now, to your point, Jordan, his position today, he has used his wealth to advance black causes. He has supported HBCU scholarships. Mm-hmm. He has also financed programs for young black journalists mm-hmm. so they can um, investigate uh, systematic racism that exists in society. And so my point is simply that although Jordan received criticism in the late 80s and the 90s for his silence, and there were consequences to that silence then, in the long run, I think that the fact that he was able to remain on neutral political ground and build this enormous wealth as the most famous American endorsed in the world, in the long run, it positioned him economically to now support these various mm. uh, African-American organizations, social justice causes. And still, though, we could make the case that Jordan, when he has made these great donations, he doesn't say a whole lot. He usually has a press release. You know, it's not him out front vocalizing, mm-hmm. speaking about um, inequality or police brutality or all these issues that are so important to the black community. He struggled in that role. And in fact, there's an interesting quote I came across from 1992 after um, the Los Angeles riots, of course, which were provoked by the fact that the LAPD 
had brutalized Rodney King in 1991. And Jordan says, I'm not a leader. He tells the public, but people want him to be something more than he feels capable of being. And part of that is the history, the historical role of black athletes in society, that the black community in particular looked to them to carry the aspirations, to be a voice for change, to be an agent for change. But keep in mind, in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, there is not a singular organized black social movement that unifies the community with specific goals. And in fact, I think that's reflective of America at large. That's interesting, Johnny, because I get that. I get that. But at the same time, again, I'm not. I cannot. I, I'm. I yes, I'm a black man, but I don't speak for all black people. Right? You don't? No. Oh, okay. I don't. But <laughs> I know for a fact that a lot of people in the black community are like, look, all of that sounds fine, Johnny, but he was going to be a billionaire regardless, and that's why I rub people the wrong way. He was gonna make. He was gonna get to the money anyway, Johnny. So why not? take a stand like bill russell and kareem and those guys had way more to lose and, and muhammad, muhammad Ali, did and muhammad then then mike did and they still put their their necks on the line anyway so again sure. i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not like i'm not getting on mike about it i'm just i'm just speaking from what i've heard and seen from the black community on what their biggest problems with Mike was at that particular time. And I'll tell you what, after reading the book, it's the very reason why you want to read it. Jumpman, the making and the meaning of Michael Jordan. Because when you do focus on this time, in the late 80s and early 90s, I think it can be applied to today because there was this conscious effort to make him this living myth. You, in fact, called him that, Johnny, of this living myth Mm -hmm. that we could define him by our view. I mean, he never gave us one way or the other. He was just putting shoes out and dunking and being in the right Right. place at the right time and wasn't going to say anything negative. Now, whether he focused that money and later, but we defined him. And as we allowed himself to define himself, can you still do that? I want to put this back on Victor Wimbayama, who now is in a position not to become the most famous black athlete in the United States, but possibly the most famous black athlete in the world when we're talking about the platform that he's going to be provided starting tonight at the Garden. Can he create and can he be created as this living myth without anything negative sticking to him and only the positives that we want to throw onto him? Is that even possible today? (laughs) Gosh, uh, it's, it's hard to say that it's possible, right? I mean, the fact is, is that we live in a time now where there's greater access to athletes. If you want to have a successful uh, commercial career outside of just playing games for the Spurs, you have to give the public more of yourself. And we see athletes, uh, quote-unquote, controlling the narrative in, in different ways uh, with these kinds of documentaries that are coming out that Jordan – with The Last Dance, you're seeing other greats in the past and contemporary athletes, athletes more related to our recent times, like Tom Brady's done it, Derek Jeter's done it. And I suspect that LeBron James is already making plans to tell his story. And my yes. point is simply that, you know, this period that we're living in now, athletes have to find ways to engage the public if they want to elevate their profile and make more money um, and, and build their quote-unquote brand. Jordan, of course, did it in a much different way. You know, I don't think that you can draw a straight line 
from Michael to LeBron. It doesn't work that way. That's LeBron fair, well is, fair. is not the yeah. I don't believe that that's the way to think about this. Um, you know, as you were saying earlier, you know, Kobe Bryant takes a much different path from say LeBron James. So my point is simply to think about these figures in a context. And when I was writing this book, I was thinking about something Barack Obama said. You know, on the one hand, Obama is in Chicago in the late 80s when Jordan mm-hmm. is there. And he writes about how Jordan uh, was this unifying figure for the city of Chicago, which was one of the most segregated cities in America at that time. Um, but Obama goes on to talk about, you know, Jordan's his unifier. Well, okay, perhaps. But if we interrogate that idea for a little bit, what happens when all those fans, white and black fans, leave the stadium? Right, and they're going back to this segregated city in Chicago. Right. My point is simply that we can't look to an athlete alone to bring us together. But um, as you suggested, you know, Jordan was viewed by the public as this unifying figure. That because white America loved Michael Jordan, it said something about the state of race in America. But Jordan really struggles to find his voice. It's not one that he welcomes. But if we think back to what Obama says, he talked about how he belonged to a different generation. He and Jordan, they're about the same age. They belong to a different generation. He gave this speech, Obama, where he talked about the Joshua generation, okay? And we talked about the Joshua generation. He, he thought about himself and Michael Jordan, and he compared it to the Moses generation. Right. That was Martin Luther King's generation, right. right? The Moses generation of MLK, they marched, they fought. And they pursued justice and equality. But they didn't see the fruits of their labor, many of them, right? The sacrifices that the Moses generation made life better for those that followed in their footsteps. And that was the Joshua generation. And the Joshua generation, Jordan's generation, they defined themselves less in terms of protest and more through the pursuit of breakthroughs. Well Jordan's goal was not just to be a great basketball player, but to break through in corporate America. And so for him, it was about these aspirations of breaking down these corporate walls. Well, he, I admirable? Think, yeah. You know, that's for people to decide. It was the 80s. We yeah, were chasing and, that. Yeah, and the thing about it, though, Johnny, I feel like, because I remember Bruce Smith, you know, Hall of Fame defensive lineman, Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills, says he's walking into a restroom and this guy's dropping in bombs. He's talking about black people. And he sees Bruce mm-hmm. and he says, Bruce, you're different. You're Bruce. So I feel like right. Mike... Mike wasn't seen as a black man. Tiger wasn't seen as a black man. That's Tiger. That's Michael. Like there's totally. there's a there's a handful of athletes that transcend sports and and globe that where you're just Tiger. You're just Jordan. Like they're not they're not like the first thing when I, if I walk in the room like there's a, there's a short black guy. Michael Jordan walks in the room. That's Michael Jordan. You don't that first thing you don't see. I, even though he is a black man, that's not the first thing you notice. And that's why, again, going back to, you know, the importance of this book and the importance of talking about Michael is like he had that ability to do what he did because he wasn't seen as a black man. He was seen as Michael Jordan, if that makes any sense. And I think the book gives you a great platform to why Jordan was able to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Go ahead. I'm gonna go, I'm uh, I think you're spot on. You know, it reminds me, too, of a scene in Spike Lee's film, Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. right? And... uh Spike's character is in the pizza parlor, and he asks Pino, this Italian-American, you know, he's asking about his favorite <laughs> yeah. musician, his favorite athlete, and, you know, he tells him his favorite ball player is Magic Johnson. 
And, you know, for much of white America, you know, Magic and Michael didn't remind them that they were black because they didn't talk about issues that were relevant to the black community. So this idea that Jordan transcends race, I think it's rooted in the fact that, you know, racial transcendence is, was less about who you are and more about who you aren't. You know, Michael was Interesting. not, you know, tying arms with Jesse Jackson back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He could have, but he did not. Jordan did not live in the city of Chicago. He lived out in the suburbs. You know, so he made these conscious choices about how to present himself to be seen as a universal hero. But what's interesting, too, if you read the, the profiles of Jordan in the late 80s and the early 90s, he's not described as a black American hero. He's simply described as an American hero. Right. It's as if his race it didn't is a matter. race from it the didn't conversation. Matter. Yeah, yeah. Great book. I highly recommend it for holiday reading for any Jordan fan, for sure. But for those who are interested in the progression of the black athlete and his place in the modern world, you got to start at the beginning. And Michael Jordan played a role there. Johnny, I congratulate you again on a phenomenal read. Can't recommend it enough. It was printed by Basic Books. You can get it where you buy your hardcover print. Buy something hard that you can put on on your mantle after you've read it. Uh, Johnny, congratulations. (laughs) Great book. Uh, Thank you for what you did. Thank you. This has been one of the best interviews. Really appreciate the conversation, guys.